Hi everyone, it's Kino here. Thanks so much for joining me on Seek Up, the yoga inspiration show. I am so grateful for you and grateful to you for tuning in and sharing this journey with me. I am overwhelmed with how many people come up to me and say that they're really enjoying this type of communication, teaching, and sharing. So thank you so much for being a part of this journey of yoga, this journey of spirituality, this journey of mindfulness, this journey of seeking wisdom. More than anything else, this is meant to support the seeker's journey, meant to support you on the path. If you find this series of teaching really beneficial, the way that you can support this series is to become a member of the Om Stars yoga community and practice. We have decided to make this series free and available to everyone so that no matter where you are in the world, you can get the teachings that will hopefully provide sustenance for the seeker's journey. And for those of you that can become a member and give your support, please know that I appreciate it. And I'll see you on the mat real soon. Hi, everyone. It's Kino here. Welcome to Seek Up the Inspiration Show. I'm here with Mia Forbesbury, who's a dear old friend of mine. Mia is a mediator and a coach with a background in mindfulness and yoga. And today we're here to talk about communication. So welcome, Mia. Thank you, Kino. It's lovely to be here with you. Let's start off maybe on the other side of communication. So instead of talking about when everything goes right, let's start off with when everything goes wrong with communication, like a communication breakdown. What's a good example of that? I think a lot of times we actually just don't talk to each other. So that's one example. There's kind of something festering and no one's saying anything. And then there's the argument where we're kind of feeling very defensive and feeling against someone. And that can happen in our personal relationships. That can happen in business where we can be cold. And, and it can happen in politics as well, where people are just kind of either just really defensive or just throwing things at each other. And no one's listening and everyone's trying to score points. And no one's actually trying to find a solution or a better way forwards. They're just trying to catch each other out. Mm -hmm. And what's your role? How do you insert yourself into a situation where there are these polarized opposites that are happening, whether that's on a personal level or a broader level, or in these moments when people are kind of bottling things up and actually not expressing? What's your, what is your role in it when you step into that space? That's a great question. And my role depends on the situation. So sometimes I'm a mediator and I'm helping parties to understand each other and to figure out a way forwards. And that's often in a business context, sometimes in a work context. Sometimes I work with couples and I'm really helping them to go deeper and to understand each other and listen to each other and go beyond the noise to kind of what's been triggered in you and what are you feeling and how can you understand each other better and not kind of be so quick to just react and think, Maybe there's something going on behind there. So, so those are a couple of my roles. And I guess, as you know, I'm writing a book and the book is, is about how to, how to do this without me, which is, which is much more difficult. You know, it, it's even difficult for me to do it personally when stuff is going on. So it, it's much easier actually to be the mediator than it is to 
when you're being triggered because you're not so triggered by other people's stuff as you are by your own. Is that really the source of how people end up in their divided, polarized corners? Is it because people are triggered by things and they don't know how to deal with their emotions and their reactions? Or, or what's the source of those communication breakdowns? I think definitely people are, people are triggered by things and they go into fight or flight mode or fight, flight and freeze mode. And a lot of times it's freeze. And then they're kind of playing out their patterns. So their defense mechanism comes up and then it's about really trying to either personally or with the help of someone unpack what's going on in your defense mechanism at that point. So what's happened? How are you reacting? And what's going on with that? And how, how can we then maybe do it differently once we've been kind to what's going on? Hmm. I can see how, you know, in couples where there's a lot of, in, people are really invested in the success of the relationship, you know, you really, really love someone and then you decide, okay, I want to, I want to do whatever it takes to solve this because the love, you know, outweighs the, the problem, the conflict uh, that people are really invested in that in the political sphere you know, or maybe even in the business sphere, what's the upside of communication? And, and are people really interested in that, in that broader, you know, that broader spectrum of the societal or the business level of communication? I, I worry that they're not interested in it enough, <laughs> actually. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and that they're sort of stuck in their perspective and not willing to, and not interested in looking at a perspective that's different from them, particularly when the perspective is very different. I mean, we're in an era where we cancel people when we think they've done something wrong. And then there's a question of how do we, so maybe sometimes that's appropriate, but maybe how do we heal and how do we improve and how do we help people to change? And often I find that when people have different views and they're not talking, they're actually not exploring the real problem that's there. Someone's saying there's no problem, someone's saying there's a problem, and no one's going underneath. And, and if, if one person is saying there's a problem, there are fears, at least. And those fears need to be addressed if we're going to live together in a society. So if we, if we can manage to listen to a viewpoint that we maybe don't love, and try and understand it. And one of the big things that I talk about is that it's very different to understand something than to agree with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I can tell you, you might tell me the moon is purple and has pink spots. <laughs> and I might have a very different opinion and think you're maybe a little crazy. But I can say to you, oh, Kino, what I'm hearing from you is that you think the moon is pink and has purple spots. And... I'm understanding, it doesn't mean I'm agreeing. And then we can start to have a dialogue and often out of that, there'll be a reason that you think something's so strange. And I'll start to understand that. And then because I'm listening to you, you might want to listen to me too. And I think we forget that. We're trying to put our point across and talk over each other. And communication isn't happening because everyone's talking, but no one's listening. Mm, I really like that idea of, of a of sort of give and take as part of the communication. I would also like to tell everyone that I don't believe the moon is, what do you say, purple <laughs> with pink spots. Just for the record, I'd like... Kino's never said that yeah, to I'd me. Like, I'd like that to be... The, the moon is normal. I, I, I may have seen a rabbit in it once or twice back in the day, but uh, at this point... And of course, the man in the moon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. But the, I like this idea of being willing to kind of take the emotional psychological leap to really go to the point of understanding a viewpoint that's different and acknowledging that that's valid for that human being to pay them the respect of that while at the same time not necessarily agreeing with it you know I I actually had an interesting disagreement come up uh, recently with a a colleague of mine and this colleague was saying you know um, I want you to understand my point of view and I said and what I said in response was I understand your point of view and I respect your point of view I just don't agree with it. And I mirrored back, you know, here is what your point of view is and it's valid. And in order for me to understand, I don't need to agree that your point of view is the absolute truth. Yeah. And it's it's very difficult because what she, uh, what, what this colleague said back to me was, if you understood, you'd agree. Mm. And understanding and agreement are different things. They really you know? are. They really are. And I, and that's to do with, so at the core of good relationships is the ability to differentiate. So to realize that you might not have the same opinion as me, and that's okay. And, and maybe there's something you haven't understood about what I've said, and, and maybe you've understood everything about what I've said, and you still have a different opinion, and to, to be okay with that. And, and, and that's really central and hard because we care so much about what other people think of us. I like what you said about understanding why, you know? So if we could, if we understand, okay, this person thinks this, and then they have a right to think that, and then to understand why, to go into the, oh, well, not only do I understand that you think that and respect it as a divergent point of view, but I understand why, then that starts to open up that box of compassion. It starts yeah. to open up the box of, of, of potential meeting. And I wonder... What do we do in a society where we have now not only, I think, a crisis of communication uh, with polarized opposites, but really a crisis of truth, you know? Mm. So when we have these, uh, you know, different presentations of facts, and and, and in many ways, some things we take as immutably true are in fact not immutably true. And then there are, and there are some things which are potentially, you know, um, uh, incontrovertibly factual, and yet somehow end up being argued. So where does truth fit into the spectrum of communication, understanding divergent points of view and giving space for everyone to think what they want to think? Wow, there's so much in that question. Um, Definitely the why and the looking under that. And then I think that's also linked to truth in the sense that often we haven't understood something but we're sure that we have there's, there's there was an episode of Ali McBeal many years ago where Richard Fish who uh, if, if anyone's watched it he's he's quite a, a funny controversial figure and he was cross-examining someone an expert and he said are you wrong and the guy said no and he says could you be wrong and the guy says no he says have you ever been wrong before and he says yes and when you were wrong did you know you were wrong And the reality is often when we're wrong, we don't know that we're wrong. And so there's leaving that that hint of possibility, however sure we are, that maybe we've missed something. And I can give you a really simple example from me and my mum. So my mum taught me English. And at some point, 
we were supposed to meet up. And I think it was 11 o'clock in the morning. And she said, I have a few errands to run. And then, I, then I, I'm coming over and I'll say, okay, I'll see you in the afternoon. And she said, no, no, you're changing the time on me. Why are you doing that? And I'm like, okay, I don't feel like I'm changing the time. I feel like this is what we agreed, but okay. And we went back and forth for a little while. It turns out that she thinks the afternoon starts at 2 p.m. For me, the afternoon starts at midday. And in my head, however, however, I used this example in teaching for a year before I understood more about it. And in it, I always felt underneath, I didn't necessarily say this, it's so stupid, it's in the word, afternoon. Like, <laughs> how can it be anything but midday, right? <laughs> and then I was talking to one of my close friends and she said something about the afternoon starting at two. And I'm like, where do you people get this idea from? She's like, well, there's the morning and then there's lunchtime. And then there's the afternoon. And I was like, oh, that is a different way of seeing it. So I think, you know, even something as simple as what does this word afternoon mean, we can all have different opinions on. So I, I don't want to lose the thread of your question because it was a good question. You said why? No, I think there's something about truth, but I'd love to truth. just continue about that because, uh, you know, I'm smiling and I think, well, gosh, like we can't even agree on when the afternoon is. Of course, we can't agree on broader, you know, themes of equity and uh, equality and justice and these sorts of things. Like we can't even agree when we're coming over for tea. Then yeah. <laughs> how can, and, and you're like, this is between family, you <laughs> yes. know, what about strangers so people are you know wandering around not meeting appointments for the afternoon because one shows up at 12 and another shows up at two and someone comes to at four or something like this and this is a very it's a, I think it's a very worthy example of, of, of how things can just evolve into misunderstanding if we don't you know say well okay I'll meet you in the afternoon and what time is that exactly you know, yeah. ask for clarity, because it could mean one thing uh, to one person and another thing to another person, and, which is right, you and know? And very often, no one, it feels like someone's lying or someone's <laughs> distorting the truth, and no one is. Everyone's just seeing the world differently. The, the Harvard School of Negotiation has a book that called Getting to Yes, and in it, it has some, a very simple table that I love. It's about a landlady and a tenant, and... I'm, I don't know why I imagine they're in New York in a small apartment. And everything, they see everything differently. Like the rent's too high, the rent's too low. I know people who pay more for a similar space. I know people who pay less, all of that. The bits that I love, are the, the two last lines. He says, I'm a great tenant because I always pay the rent as soon as she asks. And she says, he's a terrible tenant. I always have to ask him to pay the rent. She says, I'm a wonderful landlady. I really care about the privacy of my tenant and I never interfere with him. He says she's cold and distant and uncaring and I don't like her. You know, the facts are the same, but the perspectives are so different on them. So I think we have to take that into account when, when we're looking at what people are saying. And go back to the actual facts. So that's that kind of circles back to that question of irrefutable truth, you know? So if we can just take that example, 
we could say the landlord contacted the tenant on this day, this day, this day, and this day, at this time, this time, this time, and this time. That begins to be irrefutable fact. Mm -hmm. And then the story we can tell around it is, well, uh, the landlord really respects the tenant's privacy. Or the other story is she's cold and and has no interaction, doesn't actually, doesn't care. And it's that story, you know, that's this idea of here are the facts and here's the story we tell around the facts. Now, the question or the crisis of truth that I feel that we face today sometimes is we can't even agree on the facts. Yeah. You know, we start to question, was it really at two that she came? What is two o'clock? Was it an alternative two o'clock? Or was it, was it actually in December? Was it two in Miami or two in London? (laughs) Was it a fake December that she appeared in? Or, you know, and so then when we start having no firm ground to stand on, then what basis can communication even take? So I think, I think this is for me where I come back to my practice and on a personal level, you know, mindfulness meditation is about developing calm and clear seeing. And so this is where the calm actually is not the pure purpose, it's the clear seeing, so that we, we begin to have more and more clarity and be able to start to unpeel these layers and and be more incisive, not, not in a nasty way, just just getting clearer what exactly did happen and and also does it matter what happens because sometimes we want to be right and we're so attached to being right but who cares on some topics if we talk about race diversity politics um who gets funding some things are really really important but some things like was I five minutes late or did we have, maybe it doesn't matter so much. Right. Did, you, did we have, you know, Chinese food or Thai food two weeks ago? Yeah. You know? That's probably a fact you could somehow, you yeah. know, go in and figure out. How much energy do we want to put in that? Yeah. Does it really matter? Yeah. No. It really doesn't matter, you know? I think that that's probably one of the secrets to a happy marriage right there, (laughs) you know? (laughs) They say say you can be right or you can be happy. So So. when we were building our house, uh, Tim, my husband, was over there every day with managing the construction, and we were talking about this and that and this and that, all these sorts of things. And the foreman of uh, the construction project was talking with Tim about things, and he said, I always have the last word with my wife. Tim said, wow, what? <laughs> well, you got to tell me what your secret is. And he said, I'll tell you. You want to hear? He said, yes, absolutely. And the foreman said, I always say, yes, dear. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable. So he's learned yeah. to say it sometimes, <laughs> but not all the time, but sometimes. And, and probably I, you don't want him to say it all the not time. Not all the time. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but those it's interesting to figure out what what's the what's the heart of what's bringing us together and what's the heart of what could potentially divide us and then to go and 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 dive into those places of intersection. And one of the things that I think is that, that you've talked about that I think could be useful to flush out is one of the things that say like the spiritual practice gives you, whether you're, you know, practicing mindfulness or form of yoga, or you have some other kind of spiritual practice is kind of giving you a foundation of confidence 
a foundation of, of your own ability to see clearly. So in some level, we might go through some storms when we start, but we eventually land in a place of more self-confidence, not so much in the egoic sense, but in the sense of being able to relax those, you know, outer veneers of personality. So what's one of the obstacles uh, that impedes people's ability to sit with the discomfort of others or to sit with divergent points of view? What's one of the biggest obstacles that makes it difficult to, you know, sit there and listen to someone that you disagree with? Mm. Yeah, that's such a great question. And again, so much in it. You, you mentioned ego and I, and I, I just wanted to touch on, I feel like the ego stops us from seeing things about ourselves that our system doesn't feel ready to cope with. And I feel like we need to appreciate that in some way, that it's helping us to, to not be overwhelmed. And then, I forgot, I've forgotten the last bit. Well, what's the thing that stops people from being able to sit with difficult circumstances, yeah. you know, difficult feedback? And I think it's, it's partly this lack of differentiation that we all have and, and what you were talking about to do with confidence and self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Self-esteem, so yeah. They're very related. So if I can differentiate from you, then my self-esteem is not in your hands and I can take my power back and you could say or think the most terrible things about me. I'm not in this needy place of needing your approval and needing to be loved by you. And that's hard when we want to be loved by someone. And, and this, I feel like the more we practice, the more we mature, the more we evolve, the more we realize that it's okay to be misunderstood. And I think we go through our lives a lot, desperately wanting to be understood and affirmed. And actually we need to be okay with not being so understood. So once we manage to say like, you know, like they say in Dirty Dancing, this is my dance space, this is your dance space. You don't come in my dance space, I don't come in your dance space. Then I can begin to to listen to you more when you're saying something that would otherwise trigger me. Um, and I, I, I've said this to you uh, about my husband, and I, I, I say to my husband sometimes, you know, I can go three rounds now. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> of, of like a lot that, that sort of may be difficult to take. And then, and then three rounds, I'm like, I, I, need, I, need, I need some air. <laughs> I need some space because it feels like, it, like it's overwhelming. But in, in those rounds, you know, it's like this is my space and I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm not taking everything that you're saying personally. It's not all about me. In fact, even if it is about me, it probably says as much about you and how you see the world. And then um, there's this wonderful technique from uh, a couples therapist called Terence Real. And this is how I express it. He probably expresses it differently. It's like you, you develop this kind of boundary a- around you. It's, it's porous, but you let stuff in. And it's like you, you may be like, like in the Matrix, you know, when Neo picks up the bullet, you look at it and you think, oh, what do I think about this? And then you're not at the mercy of the other person for your self-esteem. And you may not know and you may need to grow and you may, and that's okay, but it's about leaning in to what 
you think and what you feel about your behavior or what you've done or, or the world or what someone else is saying and not feeling so threatened by their words and their views. So the dance space the other way is, oh, Kino sees the moon perfectly, but I see it as pink with purple dots. Like, you know, like, okay, that's interesting. How come she sees it like that? Is that something that's different about her or different about me? Where is she coming from? What's her history? What's her culture? What's her, is she wearing glasses? Am I not wearing glasses? Am I wearing, you know, what, what's my lens? What's her lens? And so we start to get curious. We start to get curious and not threatened. And we're curious about each other's worlds and how they work and how maybe how crazy they are. Mm. I love the idea of operating in a space outside of threat. Mm. You know, this idea of, of, of potentially reframing our interactions from a place of safety and security. Yeah. So the question that usually comes up when we dare to make the shift into safety and security is, has there been a reason why we're afraid? Is mm -hmm. there potential for real harm that's been done? Yeah. You know, um, particularly for members of marginalized or disadvantaged or minority groups in society, um, particular genders and all the different intersections that we each sit at, we've all experienced potential, you know, real harm at the hands of someone's words, at the hands of someone's actions. So then how do we navigate that space at the intersection of trauma, whether it's individual trauma, race trauma, cultural trauma, or genetic inherited trauma or gender trauma? Yeah. So I think we acknowledge that we, we all, we each hold our own trauma and our own background. And there are, there are words that hurt us. It's interesting, there's, you know, there's, there's those two aspects of sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And on one level, that's just not true, right? On one level, it's true, and on one level, it's not true. We have this, this relative truth mm -hmm. that words can be deeply wounding, can, can make us feel very separate. And, and in pain. And, and at the extreme, we have the words, we can be brainwashed, you know, like people who get caught up in terrorist groups and who've been told things. So, so these very different perspectives. And I think it's, it's, again, on both sides, an awareness of that past trauma and a, an awareness of how that's being affected. And sometimes people are obviously going to react more strongly because they have a, a minor or major version of PTSD. You know, this, they're, they're being re-traumatized. So, and a lot of people talk about intention and intention not mattering. And I think, I think this is a very confused subject because... I don't think we can use intention to say, no, 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 I wasn't doing anything wrong or, or, you know, to put the burden on someone else, particularly, for example, in race and gender and things like that. And at the same time, the intention that we bring to something is important. 
And that's part of our own investigation and, and looking in our own kind of little sphere is what was my intention? And not necessarily even to admit it to someone else, but to look at it like, was there a good intention or, or was my intention a little off? Because it, it is important on one level, although it's not necessarily a defense to anything we may have said or done. Yeah, I think that that phrase, you know, intent um, doesn't matter, but impact does. And I think that rather than creating another dichotomy that could potentially be more polarizing to say intent and impact, you know? Yeah. So there's the impact and there was the intent. Yeah. And to have those two as, uh, as sort of factors that we take into consideration, both in terms of our self-evaluation and also in terms of our interaction with others. So this, you know, understanding someone's intent can potentially do a lot to ameliorate the, the, yeah. the impact. At the same time, once someone is, has been brought up to a level of consciousness, then they're on some level responsible for yeah. intent as well as impact. So if you don't know yeah. you're doing something wrong and then you genuinely don't know, you innocently don't know, yeah. and then um, it's brought to your attention and then now you're aware and then you do it again, then it's a different scenario. If you don't intend to do it again and you make a mistake, that's something else. I think they're all in the grand bigger picture of thing. The problem with intent is that a lot of people have used it as, as sort of a, a bypass, yeah. as kind of like a get out of jail free. Well, it doesn't matter because my intention was good. So why are you getting offended? You know, that's your stuff. My intent, I didn't mean any harm by that. And then and then there's it's really both, you know? And, and as you know, I like and not all. Right. Like, you know, Let's say so what again. you said, so. and not all. Right. So it's not one or the other. Right. You're hurting, I'm hurting, or you're hurting and my intent matters and the impact matters both. And I think if we look at less controversial subjects, mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, for example, um, I've worked through a lot of stuff to do with my father who... Um, my parents divorced when I was very young and I didn't see him for 20 years. Now, there's something that someone could say to me really innocently that they have no way of knowing would have affected me when I was still working through a lot of that stuff. And I might ha it might have a very strong impact and there's no way they could have known that it would have that impact. So we then have to, like, do we have to all go around walking on eggshells about everything well, no, we need, we need that impact and intention. And then when it's about sort of more sensitive, better known topics, I think it's also important the weight that we give to each and the space and airtime we give to people. Because those people who've had trauma in, in a certain area, maybe they need to be given more space and we need to give more weight to that and realize that what's going on in us, although it may be not feel good, it's not of the same size. It's not of the same caliber. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm really struck by how grounded all of the concepts that you're sharing are in having a personal practice of mm. introspection and contemplation. Yeah. So do you ever get people that come in and do work and with you as a mediator or as a coach, whether it's in a couple's capacity or a different capacity, and they don't have a foundation in a contemplative practice? And then is your first advice just like start sitting? <laughs> or, you know, like where, where do we begin without that introspective contemplative practice? Or is that really the 
the beginning? I think with with sort of couples work and more intimate stuff, it's it's so important to have some ability to look into yourself. I think whether or not we have a practice, we all have an ability to begin to look in the mirror, you know, and say, hey, maybe my behavior wasn't great. And 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 I, I say to people all the time, you know, everybody exhibits bad behavior now and then, you know? People come in and they think I can't say anything unless I've been perfect or, or they're trying to portray themselves as perfect and the other person, everybody missteps, says things that aren't so nice now and then, you know, and so I think there needs to be an acknowledgement of that and, and a willingness to look at that. But I mean, if we go to the other extreme in commercial mediation, sometimes it's just about solving a problem. And there's a deal that can be done without a huge amount of introspection, a little bit, but not, not so much. So I think it depends on the relationship. Of course, you know me and, and I know you, and we probably both think that everyone would benefit from having an introspective practice. And it's about how can you, from my perspective, how can I help people find things, uh, an opening? Where, where is the opening for them to find something that works for them and to be able to look at themselves to the level that they are able and to just grow that in an organic way. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. I really, really love that. And I think it creates a lot of space for everyone, whether or not they have a foundation, a contemplative practice to honor what we could call the Buddha nature within, you know, that quality and the ability to look within and to have that cultivated and nurtured as a seed. And whether that sprouts into, you know, a a seated meditation practice, a yoga practice, a prayer practice, or, you know, maybe just a a lot of inner contemplation, whatever it is, that that capacity is is there within each person. And we can speak to that. And we can grow that. I... I'm trained in a form of therapy called internal family systems or self-leadership. And it's very much about noticing what is what they call self, which in Buddhist philosophy is no self. So it's a little confusing, (laughs) but that Buddha nature, that authentic self and noticing what are what we call parts. So, and, and knowing that once, once we start to see our parts, then we're not, blended with them anymore. We're not all mixed up in them and we get some clarity. So just, just being able to begin to see that, I think is, is really helpful. And we only work, can work as fast as the system is ready to go. So it's so important to honor the system. And we're all sitting here often with our partners or whoever thinking, you know, you need to move faster. You need to like, <laughs> you need to get better at this faster. And the quickest way is the speed that the system is ready to go at. Mm-hmm. And the system refers to? Um, gosh, our system, our, the human being, which is made up of this authentic self and parts and I guess our, our nervous system and, and our defense mechanism. So sometimes if we go too fast, then people shut down and their defense mechanism becomes stronger. So we need to give that reassurance and, and 
even honor those parts that have been part of the defense mechanism because they're there for a reason. And at some point they've served us. And if we're always pushing them away, then we're not making friends with them. And when we make friends with them, we can heal them. They're like little human beings, you know? <laughs> if, we, if we say, I hate you, go away, they go into more trauma. Mm -hmm. If we say, okay, thank you, you've really helped me, what, what should we do now? <laughs> like, is this still the best way of helping me? A and starting to look at why they help in that way and, and what's happened. Then we become friends and they can help us in a more useful way. Absolutely. Integrating all of the different parts and seeing the different parts to create that feeling of wholeness. Yeah. I like this idea. I just want to circle back to the idea of that the system can only, you know, open and evolve and grow at the pace that it's uh, that it can, you know, and it's really doing the best that it can within its own ecosystem, you know? So if that the idea of the system is us as individuals with our, you know, whether that's our physical incarnation, our energy system, our, you know, our, our, our the role we play in consciousness and, 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 and all of that. But then there's, so there's our system, our individual system. And then there's also that broad societal system as well, yeah. you know? So it's like, well, the planet and the human yeah. consciousness and the human system, the organism of all the beings on the planet together. And it's uh, similarly, is we get frustrated with ourselves. We may get frustrated with, well, gosh, why can't we just get over this as a species? Why can't we just evolve faster? We've got to solve this problem faster. At the same time, it's like, well, that's the same frustration that we would mirror in ourselves of, well, why am I, you know, why do I keep making mm -hmm. the same mistakes again? And yeah. it's, it's really hard to zoom out and take that bigger picture perspective of, you know, we're really all doing the best we can, mm. you know? And if we could do better, we probably would. There's very yeah. few beings on the planet that wouldn't, if given the opportunity to do better, wouldn't do better. You know, and that's that very yeah. small percentage that are Ill, that don't have capacity for empathy and, you know, that are statistically measurable in that capacity. But every human being is, is you know, even ones we don't agree with, even ones that are even d doing harm out there. They're, everybody's doing the best they can. They are. Including ourselves. And I think once you start to see that, you start to see that blame it's not such a useful concept and it starts to fade away. That doesn't mean people shouldn't be responsible. Everyone, everyone has responsibility, but it, it almost doesn't make sense to blame people. And I, I like to look at karma and, you know, karma is everything that's happened to you in the past that converges in this moment and the resources and skills that you have to meet that in this moment. And so that's, sometimes we have to be aware that we don't have, you know, when we talk about we have choice, we don't have enough resources and skills to meet everything that's come with us to us and what's coming now. And we don't have those resources and skills to meet it in the best way possible. So I, I like to talk about things being unskillful or mm -hmm. skillful, you know? Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do is continually develop our skills. Mm -hmm. And it's not our yeah. fault that our skills are where they are, like this mm -hmm. or like this. And that, I think that's hard, especially when we look at the world and we think, oh, maybe it's not in such great shape. You know, yes, you know, everyone's doing the best they can and maybe it's not very good. <laughs> but we want to help people develop skills. And the best way to do that is not by shaming them. Mm -hmm. The best way to do that is by beginning to meet them, to understand them, to connect with them, and then to 
then to have a real dialogue, because when we understand and connect with someone, maybe they'll be more willing to listen to us. And maybe we'll have learned something along the way that we didn't know or understand. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this model that you describe almost here stands in stark contrast to the quick judgments that um, you know, are made in in the attitude of cancel culture, which you mentioned before. Yeah. You know, the the sort of immediate pass or fail need to get everything perfect on the first try, making yeah. no space for growth, evolution, mistakes. Yeah. You know, um, and so there's a, a a sort of concept of being a, a failing up, of yes. of learning from your mistakes. And if we're not allowed to make mistakes, then really truly we can never learn. And yeah. is we're learning from our mistakes. There has to be space for that somehow. For sure. And, uh, you know, sometimes our mistakes create harm and hurt others and we're responsible. At the same time, if it's a learning process, then that can be very beneficial yes. for our growth, the growth of our system, our consciousness, this sort of thing. And uh, I wonder if on the journey of growth, if you have any tips that you want to share with people who are tuning in that might improve their ability to sit with difficulty, their, to improve their communication, to improve their growth, uh, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Gosh, so many. But <laughs> I, I think one of them is really being aware that you might not understand the totality of the person. And the, the way they're acting, there's probably a reason for it. There's always a reason for it that you don't understand. So if you look at a serial killer, you know, most serial killers, as far as I understand, have had terrible childhoods where they've been awfully abused. So no one happy and balanced does horrible things. And I, I remember someone I know, we were talking about white privilege and he was a white man. He was very, very resistant to the idea of white privilege. And if I'm honest, it was really, really bugging me. And I was getting Internally, I was getting quite upset about it and quite frustrated. And it took me a while, like a few times, and, and this, this is another tip, I guess, we, we've woven in here. Don't think there's just one conversation. We feel like we need to solve everything in one conversation. And actually, there are many. So in a future conversation, we were talking, and he seems like he's a very privileged man beyond just white privilege. And he started to explain to me how poor he'd been growing up and how much he'd had to sort of fight and claw his way up for everything he got. And suddenly I understood, of course, he has white privilege. But for him, it's really hard to acknowledge that because he's had so many other disadvantages that he's had to overcome. So, so then I had more compassion. I think the other thing in compassion because compassion is important, is being willing to notice, this is again the introspection, to notice the hard places, the places we harden against other people. And so for in that example, when I'm feeling frustrated with that man, I'm hardening. And if I can lean in to where I'm hardening and find the soft spot in there, that's where compassion can grow. And then I think always to notice the difference between compassion and empathy. And both are important, but in empathy, we can fall in 
to the other person. So we can no longer be um, differentiated. And so it's good to be able to empathize, but we want to bring that back to compassion, where we can be differentiated. We can know that, that we, are, we are not fully that person. And one of the things that helped me, because I'm high empath, uh, and I used to kind of fall into other people's emotions, and it, it was really something that I think Pema Chodron said something about how the worst things that happen on the planet, people recover from them. People heal from them. And I don't know if that's helpful to other people, but to me, there was a switch in my brain where instead of falling into the emotions of the other person, I started to see how they could be empowered to recover from what, whatever trauma they had, had befallen them. So I, th I think it's really important to be aware of when we're falling into people and when we're not. And then I guess, yeah, this, this distinction between understanding and agreeing and being able to show someone that you've understood, like you were saying you did with, with your colleague, you know, repeat back to them and say, you know, this is what I've understood that you're saying, is, is that right? And being willing to, to get feedback that maybe it's not right. And, and then knowing, you know, I, I understand that and I don't agree with it. And, and being able to make that difference, I think is huge because fundamentally we all do want to be understood because we're not all enlightened yet. <laughs> so keep, keep up the journey to enlightenment in whatever way works for you. <laughs> Mia, where can people find you if they want to dive into the work that you do? Um, so I'm on Instagram. I'm my complicated name, Mia underscore Forbes underscore Piri um, on Instagram. So they can connect with me there and that, that would be a lovely way. I want run workshops and retreats. Um, so yeah, reach out if you'd like to hear more and please send me questions. Super. Thank you so much, Mia. This has been a really, really wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Kino. I've really, really enjoyed it. It's always nice to chat with you and yeah. with other people too. <laughs> hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.